and welcome to this week's edition of the Global Venturing Review Podcast. My name is Thierry Hillis. I am the editor of Global University Venturing and Global Government Venturing. And as always, I will also bring you the week's news from Global Corporate Venturing. Before we dive into this week's news, let me offer you a whopping 20% discount exclusive to this podcast for our Venture Houston conference coming up on November 8th and 9th in Houston, Texas. Head on over to venture-houston.com and enter the code POD20, that is P-O-D-20. Tickets are selling fast and it's an event you don't want to miss, whether you're a corporate VC, institutional investor, service provider, tech transfer staff or university venture fund leader. We're extremely lucky to have the conference opened by Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner and keynote speakers are a veritable who's who of the corporate and university venturing world. From Christine Gilbranson, SVP at University of California, and Kazuhiko Kaki, General Manager of University of Tokyo's Utokyo Innovation Platform, to Rene Ryan, VP of Johnson & Johnson Innovation, JJDC, and Barbara Berger, President of Chevron Technology Ventures. Everyone is going to be there, and so should you. Use the discount code POD20, that's POD20, POD20, when registering to make sure you get 20% off on the regular ticket price. You can buy your tickets at venture-houston.com. Now, let's take a look at the week's news, starting, as always, with deals. ByteDance has agreed to raise $3 billion in funding from investors including SoftBank at a $75 billion valuation that will make it the most valuable independent VC-backed company in the world. Although the details have not been confirmed, SoftBank was reportedly set to invest up to $1.8 billion in the round, and the digital media operator will also receive funding from General Atlantic, KKR and Primavera Capital Group. Manbang, the trucking service marketplace also known as Full Truck Alliance, is reportedly in advanced discussions with Tencent and SoftBank over a $1 billion round that would value the Chinese company at $9 billion. That valuation would represent a $2.5 billion jump from the $1.9 billion round Manbank closed in April, which included Tencent and the SoftBank Managed Vision Fund, as well as Alphabet's Growth Equity Unit, capital G. Huashang Haoche is one of several automotive marketplace operators competing in China's used vehicle industry and has now secured $210 million in a Series D round that included JD Finance, the financial services affiliate of e-commerce firm JD.com. JD Finance's largest counterpart, Alibaba's and Financial, has been significantly more active in corporate venturing, but it's going to be interesting to see if this deal heralds more involvement from GD. Elsewhere in China, artificial intelligence and Internet of Things technology provider Terminus Technologies has raised $173 million in a round that included imaging and facial recognition software producer SenseTime. The corporate invested in connection with a strategic partnership that will involve it helping Terminus, which specializes in urban and building management systems, to strengthen its core technology. Plied Technologies last raised money more than two years ago in a $44 million round led by Goldman Sachs that reportedly valued at $250 million. Now, the financial services software provider is reportedly in talks with prospective investors including Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield and Byers for a $200 million Series C round that could potentially value it at $3 billion. The company's other existing investors include GV, the unit formerly known as Google Ventures. 
iCocoon, a fashion e-commerce platform that specializes in surplus stock, has received $110 million in a Series B plus round, backed by Innovation Ventures, GGV Capital, Songyuan Capital and BA Capital. The round came just three months after an $87.5 million Series B round led by Legend Capital, illustrating just how feverish China's VC market continues to be. Since ago, the creator of a genome engineering platform for gene and cell therapy developers has also secured $110 million in a Founders Fund-led Series C round that took its total funding to $160 million. Its last funding came in the shape of a $41 million Series B at the start of last year that included life sciences real estate operator Alexandria Real Estate Equities. Precision oncology drug developer TP Therapeutics has raised $80 million in a mezzanine round that included Lily Asia Ventures and SR1, the corporate venture unit that co-led its last round, a $45 million Series C in May last year. The latest round was co-led by Foresight Capital and Venbio, with contributions from Nextech Invest, HPM Healthcare Investments and Orbimed. And satellite launch services provider Vector has secured $70 million in a Series B round that will support the company as it looks to begin producing its rockets. Vector's earlier investors include conglomerate Kanematsu, and the funding will also be used to beef up its sales and marketing teams. It's now raised a total of $101 million in roughly two years. Enable Injections, meanwhile, a US-based medical device developer, has achieved the first close of a Series B round featuring Ohio Innovation Fund, the university venture fund formed by Ohio State University and Ohio University. Pharmaceutical firm Sanofi is leading the round, which has a target size of $50 million and also includes healthcare providers Cincinnati Children's Hospital and Cleveland Clinic, as well as ORI Healthcare Fund, Cincitech, Centrifuge and assorted private investors. Naval Injections has not revealed how much capital it secured in the initial tranche or when it expects to complete the round. And on global government venturing, we have GoEuro, a Germany-based transport booking service aimed at consumers, which has raised $150 million in a funding round backed by Singaporean government-owned investment firm Tomasek, Kinevik and Hillhouse Capital. And with that, let us take a look at the funds launched in the last week, starting with Brightlands Agri-Food Ventures, a venture fund focused on agritech developers connected to the Brightlands campuses in the Netherlands, which has achieved a second close at $22.7 million thanks to three additional LPs. LLTB, an agricultural and horticultural association for farmers in Limburg, and Van Hoek Ventures, the investment arm of diversified holding group Van Hoek Group, each committed a million euro, as did an unnamed private individual. The first close had attracted Rabobank Venlo, the provincial government of Limburg, and its regional development agency LIOF, as well as state-owned enterprise Reichsdienst for Unternehmend and Netherlands Seed Capital Scheme. And Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund, Public Investment Fund, has contributed $500 million to the Russia-China Investment Fund. The deal means that a trilateral Saudi-China-Russia fund will be created, with $2.5 billion under management. The agreement was announced at the Future Investment Initiative conference last week. Now then, let's take a look at exits. Brazil-based payment technology provider Stoneco is gearing up for one of the year's biggest IPOs. It will raise about $1.1 billion if it floats at the top of its range 
and has attracted a range of cornerstone investors that could take a large chunk of those shares. Another interested party is Ant Financial, the Alibaba affiliate that has made some big bets in international fintech in the past couple of years. Ant Financial will invest $100 million in the form of a private placement, though the size of the stake it will get in return for that money is still to be determined. Online travel services provider Tongcheng Yilong is looking to raise a billion dollars in an initial public offering in Hong Kong. Tencent and Ctrip own almost 48% of the company, which was formed last December through the merger of rivals LY.com and Elong. Property development group Dalian Wanda is also a backer following the acquisition of its Wanda tourism unit by Tongsheng Elong in April. And Innovent Biologics has priced its Hong Kong IPO near the top of its range to raise $421 million. China Life, Eli Lilly, Ping An and Taikang and Legend Capital are among the investors that have provided more than $560 million in venture funding to Innovent, which is working on treatments for cancer, eye conditions, autoimmune disorders and cardiovascular diseases, among other ailments. Chinese vehicle marketplace Tuanjie has meanwhile filed for a $150 million initial public offering in the US. Bertelsmann Asia Investments has been a Tuanjie backer since the company's 2013 Series B round and now owns almost 10%. It has expressed interest in buying a further $5 million of shares in the IPO, which follow approximately $118 million in equity funding and $36 million in convertible note financing. Phase Biopharmaceuticals, a US-based orphan disease treatment developer exploiting research from Duke University, has floated on the Nasdaq global market in a $46 million initial public offering. Phase Bio had raised approximately $139 million in venture funding as of a $34 million Series D round last month, in which AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson both took part. The latter through corporate venturing vehicle Johnson & Johnson Innovation, JJDC. Endpoint security software developer CrowdStrike was valued at more than $3 billion as of its last round, a $200 million Series E backed by Alphabet Unit Capital G four months ago, and it's reportedly looking to increase that valuation in an IPO tentatively slated for next year. CrowdStrike has hired Goldman Sachs to oversee preparation, and other corporate investors in line for an exit include Telstra and Rackspace. And finally, Cloudflare has meanwhile begun preparing for its own IPO and could claim a $3.5 billion valuation, sources have told CNBC. The internet content delivery and security technology provider has secured more than $180 million in funding, most recently raising $110 million in a Series D round backed by Microsoft, Baidu, Qualcomm Ventures and GV three years ago. It is set to join the likes of Uber, Palantir, Lyft and CrowdStrike on the 2019 IPO list. And finally, let's take a look at people. And here we only have Jenkis Taran, the managing director of University College London's wholly owned commercialization company UCL Business, who will retire at the end of this month. Taran established UCL Business in 1993 and over 25 years remained personally involved in many spin-outs and license agreements. During his tenure, UCL Business helped launch the $70 million UCL Technology Fund, which invests in the university's spin-outs. He'll be replaced in an interim capacity by Anne Lane, currently the executive director at UCL Business, effective November 1st. Lane has held her position of executive director since 2003. That's it for the week's news, but do stay tuned for the audio recording of our webinar on the energy sector, 
led by my colleague Kayan Andonov, with guest speaker Richard Pardo from Chevron Technology Ventures. If you'd rather watch the video and see the slides, you can head to the media section on globalcorporateventuring.com. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download this podcast from. And importantly, don't forget to register for the Venture Houston conference on November 8th and 9th using the discount code POD20. That's P-O-D-2-0, POD20, for a whopping 20% off. You won't get that discount anywhere else. Tickets are selling fast and it's an event you don't want to miss, whether you're a corporate VC, institutional investor, service provider, tech transfer staff, or university venture fund leader. If you do have any feedback, feel free to email me at tehilles at globaluniversityventuring.com. That's T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. You can also arrange a meeting with me as I will be at the Venture Houston conference next month. So if you do want to meet up in person, do let me know. With that, I wish you a productive week and I will speak to you again next Monday. Goodbye. Hello and welcome to GCV Analytics webinar. Today we are going to talk about the energy sector. Um, as special guest speakers, uh, we've got uh, Jeff Carlson, co-founder of Cubix Analytics, and uh, we are very hon honored to have uh, Richard Pardew, a venture executive at Chevron Technology uh, Ventures, who is going to bring in his, um, his special professional and practitioner perspective. Um, Richard... Um, uh, serves as a venture executive at Chevron Technology Ventures, and uh, he uh, joined Chevron about 26 years ago as a as an engineer. And um, he's he's gone through quite a few uh, quite a few roles at, at Chevron, including crude oil scheduler, um, business analyst, and in most recent times as principal at Chevron Technology Ventures before becoming venture executive. Um, he holds a degree in chemical engineering from the University of California, Davis. Um, Richard, it's a re real pleasure to, uh, to, have you, to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here today. Um, so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite Richard to um, interrupt my presentation on the uh, energy sector later on at any point he likes and to add in uh, any sort of valuable comments or... Um, any sort of valuable comments or additions that uh, he may he may like, um, and uh, but but before that, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a few introductory remarks about who we are, what we do, and then I'm gonna uh, give the word to Jeff uh, for some data insights on um, the third quarter of uh, of this year. Um, so Masonia is a multimedia publishing uh, group based in the UK. And uh, we publish three uh, trade papers, three very specialized trade papers, uh, global corporate venturing, global university venturing and global government venturing. And uh, in each of these uh, these trade papers, we uh, we attempt to answer um, to answer essentially two questions. Who does this sort of uh, this sort of venturing that's implied by the title and uh, how they do it? Um, the major publication is undoubtedly Global Corporate Venturing, and um, in it we, we track the deals and transactions um, with 
minority stake um, minority stake purchases by corporates uh, of about 2,000 2,000 corporates uh, around the world, and um, and all of the data generated from our news reporting goes into uh, our G- GCV analytics uh, visualization tool. Uh, which uh, which is enabled by Cubix Analytics and uh, and Jeff. Um, of course, uh, the same the same uh, the same is true for for the other two publications. Global University Venturing uh, is focused on university spinouts uh, that uh, that get uh, get some significant venture funding, and global government venturing um, is centered on. Uh, startups that uh, that get funding from governments, government agencies, or government-backed investment investment firms. We also run our GCV Academy uh, training program, in which we we men, uh, we offer mentoring and um, um, and special uh, lear- learning uh, learning opportunities for. Um, for corporates uh, that are interested in doing corporate venturing, and uh, we often invite speakers from um, corporate venturing units. In other words, practitioners and people who have done that or are currently involved in that. Um, finally, we we also have the uh, GCV um, Leadership Society, in which we try to bring together the top corporate venture venture investors. Um, in the U.S. and around the world, uh, in in one place, and um, uh, form a sort of a, a sort of a community. And since a lot of a lot of our work is about bringing people from the corporate venturing community together, um, we do a lot of conferences and networking events. And the two next events we have are actually um, actually quite quite near. We have. Uh, the uh, GCV Synergize event, which is going to take place on November 2nd next week in New York City, and it aims to bring together um, corporates and traditional VCs um, so in order to facilitate um, in order to facilitate the participation of corporates as LPs in traditional venture funds that are being raised by um, by other players and vice versa. Um, then we have, in the following week, we have the uh, Venture Houston event, which is uh, generously co-sponsored by Chevron and uh, the National Council for Entrepreneurial uh, Tech Transfers. Um, its focus is going to be mostly on the energy sector and, of course, on university university venturing and university-driven innovation in the United States. So. Um, both events uh, are are pretty interesting. Um, if uh, if any of uh, of the people listening or watching this after the after the recording are still interested to attend, I, I believe um, tickets can still be purchased. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, other events that we uh, we have ahead of us, uh, we run a um, a sort of a networking event in Finland. Um, the slush event, which we co-run along with the Helsinki Business Hub, and then comes the uh, our major event uh, in the United States, that is the GCV Innovation Summit, which takes place in Monterey, California. Um, the uh, next year is going to take place on January 30th and 31st. Um, last 
last event, which was this uh, January this year, um, was was a great success as we we had over 750 people from um, corporations whose annual um, annual revenue uh, total annual revenue amounted to over six trillion dollars. So um, it was a it was a resounding success in terms of representation of the community and. Uh, and um, merely presence of uh, of all those important players. So um, it, it it seems like uh, ne- next year's event is going to be uh, just as uh, just as large and uh, probably even larger in in scale. So um, stay tuned for for that one as well. Um, if uh, if you're interested interested more in learning about GCV analytics, which is enabled by Cubix, our partners from Cubix Analytics and Jeff, who's going to speak in just a little bit. Uh, please check out www.gcvanalytics.com. And if you want to know more about about us in general and what we do, uh, please free to uh, feel free to uh, uh, email us at uh, info at globalcorporateventuring.com. Um, now um, I'm going to give the word to Jeff uh, for some. Uh, valuable insights from our GCV analytics data on the third quarter of this year, as this year has been um, one of uh, one of significant growth in the in the venturing um, in the venturing world in, in the US and around the world. I'm pretty sure uh, Jeff's Jeff's insights are going to be pretty interesting. Uh, so uh, Jeff. Great, thank you, Kalyan. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Carlson, as he mentioned. Jeff Carlson, co-founder of Cubix Analytics. Uh, and what I'm going to talk a little bit about is sort of the macro trends and what's been going on through Q3 of 2018. So I'm going to take you back over the last few years and kind of compare um, what we've seen most recently and how that relates to what's been happening, um, you know, in prior years. And with that, there we go. Um, so first, the slide. It's a little slow in the. Um, okay, now get back. Uh, talking about dollars that have been invested, um, and and when we talk about CVZ investments, I want to make sure everyone understands what we're talking about. We're talking about investments in which there's at least one corporate that's been that's participated in that investment, or likewise, when I'm talking exits, same thing. There's at least one corporate that's participated in that. So this is not the entire picture of all the VC investment world, but it's really what, you know, investments where there's been a corporate involved. So if you look at the top, the green line, that's showing year to date through Q3 of 2018 numbers in terms of dollars, total dollars invested. And you can see even through Q3 of um, 2018, we're already ahead of prior six years, just even through the, just through the, fir- the third quarter. Likewise, on the bottom, you're seeing the number of deals, and you can see that's a pretty high number. That's somewhat been fairly flat the last few years. Um, but if I now, instead of looking through Q3, what if I if I annualize those numbers and look through, if we stay on that track, where would those numbers be at the end of the year? And again, this is an assumption, but this assumption is if what we've seen in the first three quarters continues through the fourth quarter, we would be up to almost $170 billion of investments with corporate participation. Again, that's not necessarily the amount corporates have invested, but it's you know the total invested where corporates have participated. 160, $170 billion. Compare that to where we were back in 2012, it was a tenth of that. 
Um, likewise, the number of deals would be close to 3,000 investments. That's a you know up by a factor of three from where we were um, to, back in 2012. So you know again, we're on track for another record year of investments. You know it's significant increase over the once you know 116 billion last year up to almost 170 billion this year. And as I mentioned, it's significantly up over the last six years. So that's a, that trend is, uh, is holding pretty true that, uh, you know, that the, the corporates are getting more and more involved, more and more active, more money, more investments um, around the globe. If we switch our gears and look at um, exits, um, again, we see through Q3, we see almost $32 billion um, of exits where corporates have been involved um, with 66 deals done. And just like I did for the investments, if I then annualize that and look at what that would look like by year end, if the same trend continues, we would end up with a record number of deals, uh, exits by the end of the year, as well as a record amount of money associated with those exits. So overall, the, the corporate investment world, very healthy, continues to increase year over year. Um, significant money going in, significant money coming out. So uh, it's, it seems quite healthy uh, in that regard. This slide takes a bit to explain. So what I'm showing here is the average deal size um, through these years. Um, and you can see, so the gray bars with the numbers next to them represent the average investment size for each of the years, 2012 up at the top through 2018, year to date. And you can see that that has risen significantly over the years up to almost 70 million as the average investment size in 2018. Now the different colored bars represent the regional um, components that make up that 60, $68 million average. In North America, you can see we're just, just shy of 50 million, which is up somewhat over the last few years. Um, but the one that really stands out is this Asia one, which um, has gone up significantly every year. So, so the height of the bar represents the average deal size for each of these regions. The width of the bar represents the relative number of deals in each case. So you can look at, for instance, here you can see this bar width is about twice what Asia is. So, so this contribution factor to the 68 million, you know, has about twice the weight of what the Asia one does. But that Asia at almost 160 million average is really pulling this average up quite a bit from the less than 50 million in North America up to almost 70 million. So interesting trend, still continue to see more money going into Asia, China in particular, but there's other countries within Asia that are getting more investments and the, the dollar size is going up as well. Now, I, I should caveat this. One of the things that uh, there's, there's some question about the numbers in Asia and in China in particular. So some of these numbers you got to take a little bit with a grain of salt, um, but I'd say overall the trend is probably still the case where, where it's going up significantly. Whether or not this is the actual number or not, that's that's another discussion we could have at another time. So what, what sectors and what areas? Um, let me go on to talk about the sectors and areas that um, – People have been investing. Sorry, there's a little bit of a lag here on the. Uh, I'm trying to get back to where I was. <laughs> All right. So 
Now let's go back and look at Q3 of 2017. On the right here, I'm showing by sectors, the sectors as defined by GCV, um, the dollars invested for each of the sectors and the number of deals by sector. On the left, this gives you sort of a qualitative word cloud that shows you the key areas of investment. The larger the size of the, the text, the, the more money that's associated with that particular keyword. Um, and, and so it's sort of a qualitative way you can look at this and you see a lot of brown, you see quite a bit of the, the light purple here, and those are the services and transport in particular. You can see, you probably recognize you know, transportation, auto tech, autonomous electric vehicles, no big surprise. So back a year ago, Q3 of 2017, we were seeing a lot of money going into services and transport in particular. Now I'm gonna kind of fast forward a little bit, go into um, Q4 2017. Uh, transport seems to be overwhelming um, where we're spending the money, almost 12, a little over $12 billion in transport. And again, you see a lot of the large brown text in here, the different areas where there's a lot of investments going on. If I continue moving forward to Q1 2018, now you see a little bit different. Um, transport still on the top, but services, consumer, and health have all increased dramatically. So you're seeing a fair bit of the, the green, you know, the light blue and, and the purple, and you're seeing a, a variety of those coming in. Transport's no longer the, the the big gorilla, but it's still it's still you know at the top, but uh, it's got some other ones nipping at its heels in Q1. Now I'll move to Q2, 2018. Picture changes quite a bit again. Now financial services all of a sudden shot way to the top, almost $18 billion in financial services. Uh, something called cryptocurrency and blockchain is probably driving a lot of that, I would say. Uh, you see a lot of consumer going on here as well. Transport's still near the top, um, but the financial services came shooting to the top in that time frame. And then finally getting to Q3, now we see another, you know, it's changing quite a bit, quarter over quarter. You see a lot more red in here. IT. It's bubbled to the top, a lot of these IT, the cloud computing, hardware, information technology, software. Um, so IT and health are now at the top. Financial services and transport have dropped significantly from where they were prior quarters. So it's interesting to see quarter over quarter, quarter you know, by sector and by key areas of investment where the, that's been happening. And at this point now, I'm going to hand it back to Kellyanne, and um, he's going to talk more and, and delve into the energy sector in particular. Uh, back to you. Um, thanks so much, Jeff. Um, very, very interesting presentation on, on the numbers and uh, how they have evolved over over the quarters over the past um, year, year and a half. Um, now, uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to talk about the uh, energy sector now, but um, before that, I would like to uh, invite the attendees um, to please uh, write their questions in the question section. On the side, and um, after we, after I finish my presentation, we we will have a bit of a, a bit of a Q and A with uh, with me, Jeff, and uh, and our guest uh, Rich. Uh, and once again, uh, Rich, feel free to uh, interrupt me at any point to uh, make any any comments that you think might be uh, valuable and uh, and interesting along the presentation. <coughs> so uh, let's get right to it. Um, First, what do we what do we understand by the energy sector at, uh, at global corporate venturing when we review that sector? Um, it in, 
According to our definition, it encompasses uh, renewable energy uh, and renewable energy technologies, energy storage and management technologies, oil and gas um, technologies and applications, energy software and analytics, um, grids and power supply technologies, and other energy uh, energy tech and applications um, such as uh, water water treatment and water tech, for example. Um, if we look at the of, of general at, at general trends in, in, in this sector, the, the energy sector is, is really uh, the uh, driving force and the driving fuel of essentially all economic activity in, in any in any modern modern day economy. Um, but it, it, it always it always um, it always uh, comes along with uh, quite a few concerns about um, about uh, the environment, concerns about uh, sustainability, and concerns about uh, living in a greener and cleaner tomorrow. Um, so so the sector is, is experiencing a profound change in the mix of uh, energy energy sources that are that are being being tapped uh, tapped into and used. And renewable energy sources are um, beginning to uh, gain uh, gain real real weight and real importance, and this this has been made largely possible thanks to declining capital costs associated with renewable energy technologies. And this is not necessarily just a Western centric phenomenon. Um, it's not something that happens just in the EU or in the US. Uh, um, China was was responsible for much of that growth uh, in in 2017. Half of the solar power in the world was installed in uh, half of the new solar power in the world was installed in China last year. And um, here I've actually um, I've actually included a quote from uh, one of the energy reports, uh, which says. Uh, solar power rose to record prominence in 2017 as the world installed 98 gigawatts of new solar power projects, more than the net additions of coal, gas, and nuclear plants put together. So this uh, this is very significant, and we this quote just lets us see um, the, the the future impact we will expect renewable energy uh, as an additional source within the mix of energy sources to to have. Um, in terms of in terms of other developments, other developments in the sector, um, there's there's also um, quite a bit of expected growth in in China and in East Asia in water tech and water treatment technologies. Um, there have been very importantly uh, quite a few breakthroughs in energy storage technologies that are expected to enable electric vehicles and uh, and making renewables more, more scalable. Um, one example is the uh, battery pack costs that uh, went down to $230 per kilowatt hour in 2016. Uh, and that was down from $1,000 per kilowatt hour back in 2010. So um, this kind of explains uh, or comes to show why um, why it's more uh, cost effective and uh, more cost viable to uh, tap into renewable energies today than it was uh, seven or, or eight years ago, in a way. Um, one of the major challenges of the energy sector and of, of the industrial sector, broadly speaking, would be the decarbonization of, uh, of industry. And uh, there, are, there are some estimates uh, 
being made that if if we if we want to decarbonize heavy industry by 2050, uh, the estimated cost could vary between 11 trillion and 21 trillion dollars, and they would require uh, much more non-carbon generated electricity than is presently available in the world market. Um, so those are uh, definitely financial and very much technical challenges that. Uh, that should also be seen uh, probably as uh, quite a few opportunities for uh, entrepreneurs as well. Um, if we look at the uh, oil and gas subsector in particular, it's currently uh, mostly optimistic. It's kind of swept with optimism as the oil price uh, has recovered from the slump uh, a few years ago. Uh, but there are some experts and some analysts who suggest that uh, it may be headed for a supply crunch. Um, so um, the usual moves of asset rationalization and process optimization uh, to reduce costs among oil majors um, continue to remain to remain crucial. And uh, Rich, perhaps you might want to you might might want to add in something something here as you've worked as an as an engineer as well, not just as an investor. Uh, no, I mean, I think all of the statements that you make are sort of consistent with sort of a broader energy uh, industry view of what, what's going on. I mean, you talk about the growth of the variety of alternative power sources, but I mean, most of any of the forecasts are still showing that, you know, still half of the power going out to 2040 and everything else is probably going to still be some sort of a uh, petrol, oil or gas based going forward. So it's not a nature of, I think, you know, energy being replaced, you know, energy sources have always been in transition. You go back through history and you look at what was burned or what was consumed for energy in the past, and there's always been a transition to different and more efficient uh, sources of energy going forward. That trend is always obviously going to be uh, continued, and we obviously see that uh, focusing specifically on this area here. Um, you know, don't I, not really able to comment on a supply crunch, but certainly we're going to need all the energy that that we can to sort of supply what we need into the future. And you know, there are two ways of getting that. One is more energy sources. The other way is to get more energy efficiency. And obviously, um, working would like to work and invest in on both of those aspects of the solution. I see. So um, fossil fuels are, of course, um, here to here to stay for for much longer. Uh, but but you do you do agree that the energy mix is becoming becoming more more diverse, uh, so to speak. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. And, and I'd probably say you look at most of the things. You're probably going to see things like sort of the heavier. Uh, you know, let, let's say coal being replaced by other sources while gas still contains a role and things mm -hmm. like that. You're not going to see, you know, when you talk about, you know, hydrocarbons, I, I think we have to sort of be fair and talk a little bit about the different classes that they could be in heavy oils, coal, whether it's natural gas, gas, because they all have a different uh, impact on a variety of things. So it's probably better to make some distinctions rather than just paint everything under a broad brushstroke of, you know, traditional fuel sources, but probably look a little bit at the specifics to see what are the most efficient changes or what are the changes that are coming down the road. Mm -hmm. I see. Um, okay. Um, thanks for, for that. Um, in terms of electric power utilities, um, those, those sort of companies are, are also feeling the change of uh, power generating 
the power generating fuel mix and uh, they are currently dealing and are increasingly expecting to deal more in with certain arising challenge, challenges in given geographies such as grid defection of, uh, of customers and that sort of thing. Um, so um, they will probably have to have to adapt uh, to to those changes. Um, on the consumer end of things, um, energy consumption is also becoming becoming smarter thanks to uh, various types of, of applications, uh, thermostats, and, and that sort of thing that consumer are, consumers are increasingly um, starting to use in order to rationalize their energy consumption, uh, rationalize their carbon footprint, or even just rationalize their, their monthly bills, quite frankly. Um, so if, if we look at, uh, at what's happened in, uh, in the corporate venturing uh, arena, um, we, we tracked 80 deals backed by energy corporates between September last year and August this year. Um, but this figure, I, I should mention to uh, all the viewers that, that this figure should be taken with a bit of grain of salt. Um, because energy energy corporate investors uh, tend to be um, quite discreet and conservative in terms of uh, disclosing disclosing publicly their a lot of their investments. So um, at best, this this could paint a faithful picture by being just a good sample of the total. Um, so I, I I I feel like it's it's important to mention that to all of our viewers and um in terms of yeah, and if i can interrupt I th maybe i'm stealing a statement you have mm -hmm. i think the other important thing to note here is that energy corporates don't invest in just energy it you, know, you right. can just see from the different colors in the different sections here that it is across a rather broad range of uh, technologies that energy corporates will tend to invest in that certainly is true for chevron and i'm sure it's true for some of our partners out there as well yeah. Um, yes, definitely. Um, definitely, uh, corporate and uh, energy corporates do not do not uh, focus exclusively on energy. They focus on uh, a broader, a much broader range of technologies that may have disruptive impact, as uh, as Richard just mentioned. Um, in terms of geographical distribution, from from what we could see uh, on this on this map, um, the number one. Geography was, I'm sorry, um, the number one geography was the United States and uh, the second one by number of deals that we, we tracked and reported on was the UK. Um, in terms of the sort of, the sort of investments that, uh, that energy sector, uh, corporates make, um, you know, uh, there's obviously uh, quite a few made, uh, within energy, uh, energy startups. But there's also quite a few uh, from the transport sector as um, the rise of uh, electric electric vehicles uh, may potentially disrupt uh, a good chunk of, of their traditional business. Uh, obviously, energy corporates are quite interested in that. Um, with the rise of Internet of Things, there are also quite a few investments uh, in IT applications, so things like uh, big data analytics and uh, and that sort of thing, and also in other industrial applications such as advanced materials uh, that could uh, be used for more practical purposes uh, on the field, so to speak. 
among among other things and among other sectors naturally um, if we look at uh, if we look at some of the uh, some of the co-investments of uh, of energy uh, energy sector corporates um, we, we see we see that there is there is quite a quite an interesting uh, range and mix of, of such emerging enterprises we see uh, charging solutions for um, for electric vehicles uh, like ChargePoint, um, we see lithium-based uh, energy storage technologies like Sonen, um, energy management systems like Sunverge, uh, wind energy tech developers like United Wind and Kite Power Systems. Um, we see chemical product developers like Luxassure, um, analytic software like Mana, and um, and even thermostat makers like Ecobee here um so it it, it, it is as as uh, as rich pointed out uh, quite a diverse uh quite a diverse investment thesis um if uh, if we look at the evolution of investments made by energy corporates on a year-on-year -year basis we see that uh they they went up uh, from 2016 to 2017 um both in terms of uh deal numbers from 55 to up to 78 and even more so in terms of the total dollars involved in those rounds uh, meaning total dollars committed by the entire syndicates not just by the corporate so um that figure went up from uh 925 million an estimated 925 million to over 1.7 billion last year and and this year we already in terms of the deal count we've already pretty much reached the uh the level of 2016 and uh those 53 deals are, are worth uh more than uh 1.4 uh, 1.4 billion billion dollars so we are expecting them to grow uh, a little further by uh the end of by the end of december but uh that remains still to be seen um the uh, top investors uh, within the uh, energy sector uh, include quite a few, um, quite a few uh, corporates uh, from the oil and gas subsector. We see Shell, BP, um, along with RWE uh, Energy, but also we see um, Saudi Aramco, Chevron, um, Repsol, Statoil, and 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 so on. Um, so so. So corporates uh, from the oil and gas have been quite active over over this year overall. I think that's uh, that's a fair statement to make and a fair thing to say. Um, and then in terms of top corporates in from the energy sector and from other sectors investing in energy startups, uh, uh, the, the top ones would be uh, Shell, um, the Germany-based chemical uh, chemical concern uh, BASF, uh, BP, and also the um, Free Electrons um, Accelerator slash Venture Fund uh, that was launched and announced its 21 investments. So that one came first on the top of the chart. Um, and we also we also see other investors like um, banks like uh, BNP. Uh, we see um, transport. Uh, Transport players like uh, Volkswagen and uh, and just industrial players like Siemens also um, on these uh, on these lists here. Um, when we look at the breakdown of investments in energy startups, 
we see that over the past over the past two years, uh, there's clearly a trend for renewable energy technologies and energy storage to be um, the largest chunk, along with oil and gas applications. And last year, also energy software and analytics received quite a few, quite a few, um, quite a few rounds. So it, it remains to be seen how it's going to look like um, by the end of this year. But all seems to indicate that this this sort of trend will continue by by the end of December. Um, in terms of in terms of the top deals by energy corporates that we reported, um, some of them are fairly interesting. The um, Calgen Tauzi, I hope I'm not terribly mispronouncing that. Um, this is a China-based fintech platform offering uh, a wide variety of financial products, which was backed by uh, Geojade Petroleum, which is a China-based. Uh, oil and gas uh, service provider. Um, then uh, then we had the US-based electric scooter uh, company Gogoro, uh, which raised uh, a, 30, a 300 million uh, Series C round. And uh, it was backed by energy company NG, along with other corporates like Sumitomo and electronics uh, manufacturer Panasonic. Uh, we saw BP, uh, invests uh, 200 million in uh, solar power and project developer LightSource, um, which uh, which is based uh, which is based in its home in its home country the uh, the UK. Now I'm not I'm not going to go into details about um, the rest of the deals. Uh, uh, anyone could um, could uh, look look up uh, more detailed descriptions in the October issue of, of GCV uh, in my in my piece on the energy sector, and I highly encourage everyone to do that. Um, in addition to deals, we also try to track exits that involve uh, corporate uh, corporate investors, whether whether as exiting investors or sometimes even as as the acquirers of a of a specific uh, specific startup that is uh, that has reached that uh, mature sort of stage. Um, However, for the energy sector, we've we've tracked uh, very few. We've tracked very few. We tracked five uh, um, over the past uh, over the past year. Well, between September and, and last year and, and August this year, and there were four acquisitions and, and one uh, one IPO. Um, so, and, and this is this is something fairly common for energy. Uh, you know. Exits of energy, energy corporates, and I, I, I would suppose this is this is due to the uh, capital. Uh, this is ma mainly for two reasons: uh, the longer investment horizon of of companies they invest in, of the majority of companies they invest in, and the um, higher capital capital and development requirements. Um, I don't know, uh, Rich. What would you What would you say say on that and on exits that you guys have uh, have had? As Chevron is is actually one of the oldest uh, corporate venturing units. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, you're right. Cause, I mean, we we've been in the in the game since 1999, as it mm -hmm. were. So have about near almost 20 years of experience and have seen cycles um, generally all through the place. And I was going to say. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised, but you know, you'll note we all notice that at least on the investment that there was a, certainly a big strong dip of investments in 15 and 16, 
And I think we have to put against that sort of the um, oil price climate that was in existence at the time mm-hmm. and how the oil industry overall reacted to that in, in terms of, you know, just trying to become more efficient with their operations. Now, one would think that disruptive times like that would uh, spur innovation, but I think it took a while because the industry tends to, I'm not going to say conservative, it tends to be a little bit slow moving sometimes, but we're now seeing some of that capital being released. But as you point out, at least on the exit side of things, um, a lot of the industries that are being invested in are very capital intense, do have a longer timeline to horizon and to be in a mature position where somebody really needs to either acquire them or have them go out on the IPO market. There are still a lot of uh, competitive or competing technologies in a variety of these sectors. So there may be a little bit of wait and see by potential acquirers to see which ones are the best acquisition targets. There may just be waiting for markets to mature a little bit, become a little bit more sustainable so that they can live on the IPO market. So I, I think you are quite right with um, just the nature of the investments that are made do would have that longer uh, timeline horizon. It's it is venture capital, but it's not what, let's call it the traditional IT market mm-hmm. where you invest in one year and you're out in two years just because of the rapid growth that can be acquired for right. an iPhone app, for a consumer app, or for a piece of software. Um, a little bit more time, a little bit more patience is probably required uh, when investing in an industrial sector and especially in the energy sector. Right, right. Um so, uh, so thanks for thanks for adding adding that information in. Um, then, um, if, if we move on and look at the uh, top exits involving energy uh, corporates, also very few. Like I mentioned, uh, we saw the IPO of, um, of Bloom Energy. Uh, Bloom Energy is a fuel cell energy system that was uh, backed by uh, utility Eon. Um, and it raised 270 million on on Nasdaq. Um, then we had the acquisition of uh, Smart Lock uh, Smart Home System August Home by um, the lock manufacturer Asa Abloy, and that company was was backed by uh, quite a few corporates from a variety of sectors, as you can see. You even see Comcast, uh, Creative Artists Agency, KDI, Liberty Mutual, Qualcomm, and so on. But also, more importantly, by AGL Energy. Um, so that was one, uh, one successful exit, uh, though the, the amount was undisclosed. Um, then, uh, then we had, uh, the, uh, solar system provider Phoenix International that got acquired by NG and was previously backed by telecoms firm Orange and, uh, industrial, uh, firm, uh, industrial concern Schneider Electric. Um, and then, um, Shell uh, acquired uh, a company uh, that develops uh, charging uh, charging stations for electric vehicles called uh, New Motion in its uh, in its home country, the Netherlands. And uh, there there have been other there have been actually other corporates that have made uh, similar similar investments, whether acquisitions or minority stakes, uh, like BP, for example. So the um, so charging charging stations and charging solutions for for gas stations uh, and, and that sort of network it is something that uh, oil majors are looking into uh, increasingly um, moving right along we also track uh, funding initiatives uh, that target the energy sector 
and um, we saw a bit of a, a bit of a decrease uh, from uh, 27 uh, such mm-hmm. such initiatives in 2016 down to 25, and also a bit of a decrease in terms of the dollar dollar estimates, as you can see. But um, it seems like it seems like uh, an estimated two point, almost two point five uh, billion were raised in 2018 by August. So things are probably not not as gloomy as they might they might seem from the previous year. Right now, um, most most notable uh, funds uh, we had the um, China based uh, Sinopec Engineering Group uh, raised the. F- uh, launch a CDC unit called uh, Sinopec Capital and equip it with uh, almost $1.5 billion. The, um, the the firm will invest in new energy, AI, advanced materials, and smart manufacturing. Um, we also saw um, um, the French oil major Total uh, partner up with Cathay Capital for a fund called the uh, Cathay Smart Energy Fund. Uh, which will target renewable energy, storage technologies, and grid technologies. Um, um, here, here, perhaps uh, towards the bottom of the list, uh, there was also the uh, the Future Energy Fund uh, launched by Chevron, which was a hundred million million dollar fund. So, uh, Rich, would you like to tell us a bit a bit more about that fund and uh, what geographies you're going to be targeting about its uh, investment thesis and, and that sort of thing? Well, I mean, yeah, the Future Energy Fund is just the next fund that is being uh, administered or monitored by Chevron Technology Ventures. It is, uh, like all of the other funds that we did, completely funded by the parent organization. No outside money uh, involved in that. And it is going to be very similar to the other venture capital funds that we've had in the past. I would almost consider this our sort of our sixth fund that we have issued since uh, we, we have been done. Um, you know, we're basically just going to be looking at um, things that are related to the future energy that that is out um, there. And in terms of looking at, well, let's call it sort of uh, sort of the, the four global trends, I think that we would be looking at. I don't think we're going to have sort of a global focus on it. It is going to be a worldwide, just like our, our, our other funds are. But it's going to be things like decarbonization, decentralization, digitization and electrification. Uh-huh. Very general piece that I think everybody is is dealing with go, going forward on this, and I mean, uh, yeah, and I'll just leave it at that. Or leave, leave it at that for now. Um, to what extent does that does that fund um, reflect any sort of shift in in strategic vision for the future of energy at Chevron? And to what extent is something is is it to what extent is it something new uh, to you guys? Um, I think, I mean, it's our mission has always been to really go out and champion innovation as well as looking at the integration of emerging technologies within to Chevron. I, w- I mean, if one could say maybe the only change is maybe we've evolved a little bit by saying let's put a strong emphasis on the word future energy mm-hmm. uh, rather than just calling it a VC fund or rather than just calling it a simple fund number on that. Um, and I think it's going to you know, it reflects that continual investment into research and innovation is basically going to be the success for the future and to prepare for the future of what's coming up. And because we've seen these long lead times, as we've discussed in prior slides, we have to sort of invest now to position ourselves for the future going forward. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, I'm just going to 
continue with the presentation. Um, yeah. I'm gonna mm -hmm. try to uh, try to finish uh, try to finish out because I know you have to leave uh, at uh, at uh, seven th uh, at uh, six thirty UK time. Um, depending on so um, so I'm, I'm gonna try to be as quick as possible so we could have a bit of a Q and A and uh, if uh, anyone from the from the audience would like to ask a question, they're more than more than welcome to. Um, so in terms of very quickly, in terms of government and university venturing investments in the energy, in the energy sector, um, we see that the deal flow in university spinouts uh, dealing with energy was uh, remained more or less stable from 2017 to 2018. Uh, actually, for 2018, it's almost reached the level of, la of last year. So that's uh, that's somewhat promising. Um, then in terms of in terms of the value estimated of, of these deals uh, there is there is a significant there is a significant increase uh, in 2018 as you as you can see um, so that's that's also also fairly uh, fairly promising and in terms of government backed energy energy investments uh, they remained uh, also stable between 2016 and 2017 in terms of the deal count uh, now it was, it was slightly a slightly different picture in terms of the uh, total dollar amounts involved. Uh, a huge difference between 450 million estimated for 2016 and over 2.7 billion in last year. But uh, this year does uh, does seem fairly to be doing fairly okay for now. So we'll see what happens by the end of uh, December. And that that sort of concludes my my presentation on the energy sector. Um, Rich, I would like to ask you a few a few more questions before you before you have to leave. Um, so, um, what what do you think could the oil and gas industry be doing more in the low carbon and renewables uh, space? I mean, it's hard to say. I, I don't know what you mean by 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 doing more. I, th I think one of the key uh, statements that we've often did and uh, you know Chevron has investigated alternative fuels we've done so in the past we actually um, if I don't know if people remember this but back about uh, I think it was about eight seven years ago we actually uh, sponsored and invested in a series of hydrogen fueling stations both mm -hmm. in Florida and in California to try to look at alternative fuel uh, I think a lot of our findings there were is alternative energy has to be profitable on its own or have you know or has to make sense on its own and can't always necessarily be um, a business decision that's funded by subsidy or artificial um, environment artificial business conditions you know they have to sort of stand on their own i think you've identified some of the factors that are driving a greater adoption um, you know the lower capital cost the um, you know people the scale is starting to become uh, more involved in the industries and the costs are becoming more competitive. Mm -hmm. So I think what all of these industries can do, and I think there's been a large effort. I'm surprised you didn't mention um, the oil and gas uh, climate initiative of which, what is it now, 13 oil and that's gas. Why, that's my next question, actually. Okay. <laughs> uh, where you're seeing that there is a lot of sponsorship, both through you know the individual member uh, companies in that, because a lot of the members in that also have strong corporate venture arms. So you're seeing this mm -hmm. multi-angled or this multi-thrust approach as to what can be done to support all of these efforts going forward. Yeah. Uh, so my my next my next question that I that I had prepared was actually 
um, completely related to the oil and gas climate initiative. And um, so how can there be, how do you think can there be more um, collaboration with uh, with governments through initiatives like like that one um, in terms of in terms of overall uh, long term um, goals for a greener and cleaner tomorrow? Yeah, I, I'm. A, I mean, I think if you look at the history of sort of the energy. Um, sector overall. I mean, multinational oil companies have always been working in collaboration with local governments for a variety of their business needs. Also, a lot of the projects that we do in, in the traditional sense of, are, you know, are very rarely run by a single company. They've always been collaborative efforts. I think uh, industry and government both will just continue to work going forward as we have in the past, looking at energy solutions and continue to collaborate going forward. I don't, I, you know, I think everybody's just got to come to the table and collaborate. And I think there is a desire on both sides to do that. And, and we will see that naturally occurring going forward. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And in terms of, in terms of the oil and gas um, tech sector, uh, the oil and gas, uh, oil and gas subsector, uh, as we as we kind of mentioned uh, during the presentation, so some most of the investments uh, in, in in such startups uh, normally are aimed at uh, reducing costs or um, helping bring about some production efficiencies. So, what have been the most interesting emerging technologies that uh, you and Chevron has been seeing, investing in, or considers investing in? Uh, with that, I think, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think there is, um, I mean, obviously there are interesting technologies related to sort of just the whole business of getting energy out, out of the ground, whatever that, energy out of the environment, whatever that environment is. But I think as we go back to that other um, slide that you had that shows that we're not just investing in the oil and gas sectors, mm -hmm. we're investing in a lot of different sectors, um, you know, I, you know, what people don't realize is I think oil and gas is a very heavy user of information technology resources. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, I would say that with seismic data, we were in big data before it was a buzzword. Um, I think all of the signal processing and, and large data sets, we, you know, oil and gas has always been on the forefront of trying to handle a lot of that. And we do find quite a lot of innovation in the IT space. And one of the things that we like to to help do with a lot of these startups is uh, when they have an interesting technology, how does that best fit into sort of large multinational or large enterprises as opposed to um, sort of your, your small size or, or your mid-size traditional corporates that, that one would do that one would do. It's a completely different scale when, when sometimes you deal with some of the data sets that we have or some of the corporations the size of some of the larger uh, multinationals that are out there. Mm -hmm. Um, about about a year ago or so, I I interviewed your colleague Kamal, and mm -hmm. uh, one of the things he mentioned uh, was that one of the biggest challenges for Chevron Technology Ventures and for for most corporates within the oil and gas um, oil and gas uh, subsector is is finding oil and gas startups uh, that are large enough or just willing to scale large enough. Um, so you guys launched the uh, Catalyst program 
about a year Correct. ago or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was wondering if you'd want to share what the results of that program have been and um, how that's uh, that's generally going. Yeah, I, and I think a way that we would phrase that is when we traditionally invest in a startup company, we would like it to have a uh, an advanced prototype or something that we can bring into the lab or into the field and actually trial out. But that's, you know, call it a late A or a, a series B. What mm -hmm. is feeding the front end of the pipeline? How do we get companies to a position where we can actively, actively engage on an investment discussion? without encumbering them with a, with a lot of uh, paperwork, legalese, and things like that. And that was the genesis of the Catalyst program. Uh -huh. We have invested in about six companies right now. It's generally because it is a milestone-driven program. Uh, there has been some good success as these companies are now making progress. We're helping um, we give them a roadmap, uh, a mutually agreed roadmap, that helps them get into a position where they may add a few features, they may add some certifications, they may expand the capability of their technology in order to uh, become a product that, that might be used overall. Um, and so I think it, it has been a, I think a success on both sides of, you know, for both the, the six startups that we've been involved with as well as for Chevron doing that. And we're always on the lookout for, you know, other um, companies that might be candidates for our program there as well to see what we can do to nurture them going forward as well. All right. Um, that concludes uh, my my questions. Um, I, I don't see any any questions submitted by the audience, so I guess uh, I guess we could uh, we could really wrap it up uh, for today. So thank you very much for for being. Uh, being on this webinar, uh, Rich, we very, very much appreciate your 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 professional and practitioner perspective here. Um, uh, Jeff, thanks very much for for your insights on on the data. Um, and thank you. And um, and yes, uh, for for our for our attendees and, and, and subscribers. Uh, the next webinar is going to take place uh, sometime during the third week of November and is going to deal with the financial services um, sector. The, the date is not set uh, yet, but uh, please stay tuned for that. Um, the recording of this, this webinar will be sent out to everyone who had subscribed for it, even if they have not been able to attend. Um, and uh, it, it will also be uploaded on our uh, YouTube channel. So uh, thank you very much, everyone, once again, and um, have a good day. Thank you. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.